Hi, this is Mary Kay's Positivity Podcast. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher and life coach. I'm also author of several self-help books. Mary Kay's Positivity Podcast is about strategies to think positively every day. We will cover relationships, positive energy, the power of attraction, and how to mindfully experience each day so that you can become your best self. I'm with Julia DePeister. She's a career coach and mother of three boys who are amazing. She's been a friend of mine for a long time. She focuses her coaching practice on helping young adults find their career path and stay on track in their first few jobs. And she's also just a great advice giver and someone that a lot of young people have used for college advice. She herself went to Princeton, and she just has a great perspective on life, and I thought she would be someone that could really help a lot of young people who are struggling with anxiety. So thanks, Julia, for coming on today. Hey, thanks, Mary Kay. I really appreciate you having me. So I just wanted to ask, when you are working with young people, and what are the types of questions that are important to you to understand what motivates them or what their goals are? Well, I would say, Mary Kay, when I first meet a student, and I just want to kind of give you a picture of what that looks like. So I'm meeting students anywhere from age 16 to about age 30. And so they will come to me usually on the phone first and kind of describe what I do in the beginning is taking an inventory. And I find a lot of people will share what they don't like, particularly when they're younger, because they haven't had that many life or career experiences. So we often start with a relaxed state, funny stories, and I share mine as well, about things that we have done um, in school or in an internship or in a first or second job that didn't go well. And I usually start with many of my career disasters. So (laughs) we go back and forth. And the point is to get to a relaxed state so we can be both the student and I be relaxed um, when we're sharing. When I work with young people, I'm seeing so much more anxiety today. And a lot of it has to do with something that you mentioned, that they do remember what's not working well and what goes wrong. And people just don't ever focus on what has gone right. Especially when you're starting out, you of course get the worst part of the job. So... I can remember all of my first jobs. The goal was, how do I get out? (laughs) So I'm sure you have a lot of advice for young people that are stuck also in a crossroads because it takes a lot of courage to start sending that resume out and and making that next move. Well, I'm sure you've seen this with your children that with sports and other extracurriculars, there is just so much commitment in the afternoons as well as in the summers to doing whatever it is that's your hobby. So one of my children was a football player, and then two, my other two children play jazz. One plays jazz piano, the other plays jazz trumpet. And they are really dedicated in a way that I was not dedicated to, I played the cello and I was in plays, but that was kind of a hobby. It wasn't something that I put a ton of time into. And so 
I think what is really interesting is starting to have the students that I meet with understand that they have to look at that hobby that they have um, invested in and see that practice and that struggle and that frustration and also the teamwork and also the successes and the joy, the mix of that as a, a model because they, for the most part, particularly if they've come from affluent communities, have not had the experience of a job in a structured environment with a boss and a boss's boss. So they haven't seen that way of being managed that, say, people you're in my age who you know came of age in the 80s, how we are much more accustomed to getting feedback, to having something feel bad, to having it be boring. And that passage of time, I mean, there's nothing I will get kind of seared in my consciousness is that feeling of getting to work, checking my watch because we didn't obviously have cell phones. And, oh, my gosh, it was only 1130 and I just couldn't wait for lunch. <laughs> and I'm a really hardworking person and just doing the mundane task of the jobs that I did, which I was grateful for, was so boring. And so I, I think that there's a kind of a disconnect with this generation of having had things, first of all, that they've been able to choose, like a sport or a musical instrument or dance or some hobby, and then putting the kind of effort into that that looks like work. I would argue that people our age had hobbies and we had work, and we didn't expect our work necessarily at this young age to give us what hobbies give you, which is that feeling of upliftedness, joy, friendship, etc. Mm -hmm. And so we haven't really modeled for students what a career, the, the beginning and entry part of a career is going to look like. They have no practice with that. And so I want to get that out on the table. That's not bad because they have been actually put in a situation where they've developed their hobby in a really exciting and vibrant way. But it is not completely transferable to what they will find at work. And that's something that I work a lot on is let's take the best of that. Let's take what you've learned and then let's adapt that feeling so that you can enter a beginning job and not always feel like you're being criticized or feel like you're bored and wonder why and feel like maybe other people aren't feeling that way. And the other part about your career that I think is really introspective and helpful is your perspective on the college admissions process. And I work with a lot of young women, and that's one of the greatest stressors in their life, is that, am I going to get into a college that I'm going to love? Or even if there's pressure from parents to apply to Ivies and get in an Ivy. I mean, today I have found that kids are going to schools that they're overqualified for, but that's okay too. And I think that your perspective on the college process is really helpful in lessening anxiety. Could you talk about that? Uh, absolutely. And I always feel funny because I am a Princeton graduate. I mean, I went to a pretty high test boarding school before that. So I'd had a lot of practice with applying to schools because I'd been to a day school before that they required applying. So I think a piece of it is that we I want to first separate out students who have been through the application process a number of times because they've been down the private or uh, parochial school route versus kids that come out of a public high school and haven't necessarily had these kinds of tests laid before their feet. I just want to acknowledge that there's kind of two camps there. And there's my children 
even though I went to private school, went to public school. So there's pluses and minuses to both. But private school kids often have had a lot more practice with this. So I just want to get that out there. I want to kind of share my thought as a Princeton graduate. I think it's really important for me, and I will say this for my peers, that really any school that you went to that you think is going to give you a leg up, it really only gives you a leg up for that first or second job. And once you are in that job, the lion's share of the people you will be working with in most cases, will not have gone to this kind of school. So you really do yourself a disservice if you are leaning on the reputation of your college as a crutch or as an ego boost when you get into that job. It actually can psychologically hurt you as much as help you because you think that it is a signifier for how strong a candidate or strong a worker you are. And what you typically do to get into a university or college in that, say, top 25 category is a very different skill set that what makes you good at work. So original background, the reason why I became a career coach is that I was a headhunter um, in the healthcare and insurance industry, as well as in the banking industry for about 15 years. And then I went to work for Babson as the assistant director for the Center for Women's Leadership. So I have a a pretty wide experience in this age group and in recruiting. First of all, I probably did 200 searches in my career as a headhunter. I don't think I ever placed anybody who had an Ivy League undergraduate degree. And I was placing mostly senior managers in the kind of $200,000 and above range. So that just goes to show you that you really don't need to have these, what I'll call a fancy degree in order to do well. So I think that's just an important thing, particularly for students to understand and for their parents to understand. There's been a lot of studies done. I'm sure you've read the Frank Bruni book and there are a number of others that talk a lot about your inherent work ethic and your inherent drive, not to mention intelligence. And I would really say it is a spark of excitement and interest that you can generate to get to your job And that's what's going to really captivate people, have people want to hire you. So the spark isn't necessarily something that gets you through slogging through papers and slogging through a full complement of courses at places, particularly in the IVE or the NESCAC, where they're going to require you to do coursework in all kinds of subjects where you really don't have much of an interest because there are all these core course requirements. So what you do need to be careful of when you put all your eggs into that kind of prestige background or basket is that you are really setting yourself up to be in a school where you're going to have to be a jack of all trades, master of none, at least for the first year, year and a half. And you're really going to ask yourself as a student, is that who you are? Do you want to go to a school and have somebody tell you, for instance, in my kid's case, that they'd have to do a language? My kids really aren't language kids. So what we did was something a little different. We really went after some schools where languages were certainly an option for you, but they weren't going to be mandated. And my goal in that was to help my student, my own children see that the less time they spent on things that were not spark inducing, the more they could kind of get into what their spark was going to be and and find a path where they knew what excitement and enthusiasm for learning, for growth, 
and for doing repetitive tasks that might in and of themselves not be exciting, but that led you to mastery over whatever the field was that you are going to ultimately end up in. I don't know if that helps, but it's really separating out the bumper sticker from the back of your car versus what will you actually in that college or university be doing all day? And does that match how you like to learn? Right. Because to your point, yeah, you might go to a school where you're in the top quartile or you're in the top half. And so you might feel really smart compared to your peer group. But yeah, probably for most students, when I go through this with them, you're probably going to have a core group of friends. If you're an extrovert, which I am, 25 friends, people who you're really excited to see when you bump into them at lunch or dinner. And then there's going to be maybe as for an extrovert, 50 more people on campus. So total of 75, where when you're my age, you look back and you say, my gosh, these are my good friends. I've known them forever. Boy, am I fond of them. And then for an introvert, you probably are looking more at like six friends, six good friends where you're happy to have lunch or dinner with them. And maybe a total of 20 friends that you come out and you would make a bet that 25 years from now, you're still going to be in touch with them at some level. Mm -hmm. And you could find that at any school across America. So you're going to have a peer group of people that you are fond of. And that's a lot of what I think people are looking for in a college experience, in addition to getting a great education. And if you can just imagine that you're going to have a really nice group of friends for your introvert or your extrovert, and then you're going to have this ability to do your studies in areas where you are just searching for that spark, understanding what, I mean, I never pronounce his name right, but there is a uh, a guy, I think it's, he's at University of Chicago, and Chickasamili, I think is his last name. And he wrote a book called Flow. Highly recommended oh, to people. Oh, I read that, yes. Fantastic book. Yes. And so I think that understanding that the spark allows you to be in flow, in a mindset where you lose track of time and you're really enjoying yourself. That's what you're looking for at college, is to get into that state as many times as possible. And let's just face it, if you're at a school that's really, really hard, where you're feeling like it's cutthroat and everyone around you is just grinding to get things done, you might never get into flow because you might just feel that sense of pressure and anxiety from your peer group. So I'm pretty contrarian on this. I am really thinking that you do well to look at schools where you are going to be in the top quartile and where you are going to shine so that you are able to absorb the feeling of success and see yourself. Build four years where you can see yourself as successful and, and stamp yourself with this imprimatur of, I am a performer. I am successful. I weather the tide. I enjoyed myself and I got out as a superstar. Because that sets you up to really look into the future and say, I can be successful and follow along that path. No, I And totally I am not agree. convinced that in a top 25 school is going to do that for the lion's share of students. Sure, there are going to be some really amazing students, but not every student's going to thrive in that very, very engaged environment where there are kids who are just going to be rocking this, their socks off and, and you're going to be there with your B wondering what's wrong with me. I, I don't think anybody should go to a college where the lion's share of their time is spent thinking, what's wrong with me? Why am I not, you know, a top performer here? Right, because that just creates even more. Why put ourselves through that? 
anxiety. It does. Right. And, and, and there's no point in having to go through that because your spark is what's going to get you to that next level where you get hired. So I hope that's helpful. That is. And I remember when I was working in the magazine industry, I worked at Inc. Magazine and Boston Magazine. And when I was hiring and firing, one thing that I've, I've always told students, the best workers, it had nothing to do with what school they graduated from and everything to do with what I thought were two factors. One was work ethic. They never said like, oh, I can't do it. That's not my job. They just were willing to help everyone. And then two, they had this unique ability to connect with everyone. So you could send them to any department and they could just figure things out and get along with people. And that to me sometimes is underrated. And it's something that was how I based on hiring people. And even when my daughter graduated Vanderbilt and she went uh, for her first job at William Morris and then now she's at Warner Music, but she said, mom, it really doesn't matter where you go to school, like who they hire and why they hire. Really, where you went to college seems to be irrelevant. So I do think that kids may hear that. I don't know if they always believe it, but it definitely was my experience in the workforce. And in fact, the most successful person at my company, and when I say successful, I mean he was clearly the happiest, having a great time, and he was definitely the highest paid, but he was so severely dyslexic that he couldn't read. And I didn't realize it until we were in... Uh, conference room and we each had to do a presentation on something and I, I realized that his assistant had been doing most of the reading for him and writing so I do think that people that struggle with any kind of disability can overcome them through finding your spark just like what you're talking about and also just not seeing it as a disability. He had such a great personality he focused on that he never focused on his disability nobody knew he had it yeah, well, and I think that one thing that I found with a lot of students is that the minute they can relax into the process of either a college search or a career search, who they really are can come out. And a lot of what you can do in, in both a job search and in the college search process is really learn who you are. So it's essentially like a therapy or a training exercise that you would pay thousands of dollars for. And here you are essentially getting it for free. So that essay that you're going to have to write or those cover letters you're going to have to write, really using those to get to know yourself. One great exercise that I have students do is interview a friend, a relative, and then a teacher or a former boss and ask them what they think your strengths and your weaknesses are. There's nothing like hearing it from other people and just going into it with an open mind. And we spent a lot of time talking beforehand about how you can't have all strengths. Everybody's going to have a weakness. Weaknesses are like a guardrail because otherwise, how would you know what your path is? You could be on any path if you didn't have some weaknesses. And so like, for instance, for me, I'm kind of scatterbrained. I'm one of these people that if you come to me and say, hey, do you have that folder with the blah, blah, blah report? It's probably sitting in a pile on my desk and I have a general sense of where it is. And you're going to see me fumble for a good minute to three minutes because I won't have filed it. But if you would like me to get up in the middle of a 4,000 person sales meeting and do an extemporaneous speech, 
I'm your girl. I can totally <laughs> do that. And again, I, I always qualify with my students. I've been doing this for 35 years. So I have the luxury of getting to know myself and, and I have the luxury of having had a lot of experiences. But I, I've rarely met somebody who's super, super organized and also can extemporaneously give a speech. They live in two different parts of your brain. And you probably, if you were good at one of them, you develop that over time. And as a result, you didn't have that much time to devote to the stuff that you weren't as interested in or weren't as good at. So for instance, I didn't do theater because I wasn't particularly interested in memorizing lines that someone else wrote. And I wasn't really, there was in my era, no improv or any other kind of acting troupe like that. So you would have been great at improv. (laughs) Yeah. To me, that would have been the perfect thing, but I didn't do theater because memorizing a script and standing up and saying it wasn't my thing. But that isn't to say that I wasn't good at presenting. I was excellent at presenting. I'm just not somebody who writes stuff down and then presents it. I say that for students because I never also want them to say, oh, well, I'm just not good at X. So another exercise that I can just throw out now, and again, you can do these things at home. I mean, this is not rocket science. You can do it with your family. You can do it by yourself. Your family can do it themselves. These are all just really good self-knowledge, little 10-minute exercises. I always give the example of Tom Brady because we live here in Massachusetts. You know, yes, he's a fantastic football player. Most little boys, particularly, who wanted to be Tom Brady aren't going to be Tom Brady. So I'm not going to go and tell you that, yes, you're going to probably be that quality of a quarterback. That being said, what we do, if you love football, I don't want you to give up on your dream of football. I want you to take a 360-degree walk around football, around Tom Brady. He buys plane tickets. Somebody puts the turf, made the turf. Somebody bought the turf that he plays on. Somebody made all of the real estate deals for the mall that surrounds his stadium. Uh, Somebody runs the limo service. Somebody is the lawyer in his office that does all the contracts when they are, you know, recruiting these new players. So you could have football in your life even though you're going to mature over time and probably give up on the idea that you're going to be a famous NFL quarterback. So we do a lot of imagining of that 360 degree walk. That's great advice. Yes. Because a lot of the spark is just feeling like you're a part of something you enjoy. Right. And I, I want young adults to know that you might love something. And then when you get into it, it may not be your thing. So I loved art. I loved museums, but I wasn't going to put myself through a bunch of years of getting a master's and PhD because I'm such an extrovert that I couldn't sit in a library and write a 40, 50, 60 page paper in order to get into my work. I wanted to be in that work right away. And when I did go and work in the art world, it was fantastic. I loved the art itself. I loved the people. But the repetition of what I was doing all day didn't play to my strengths because there wasn't enough extemporaneous work that I was doing and there was a lot of paperwork. And I'm just not that good at paperwork. I don't like it. So my life diverted into sales and I wasn't going to be doing sales in a museum setting or in a gallery setting where it actually paid my rent. So I turned the whole museum art thing into a hobby and I've done that for the rest of my life. And I went to work in a field sales and marketing that played to 
my skill set rather than my interests and gave me a lot of flexibility because I really like when I discovered that there are people out there who run businesses that pay you to take people to lunch and talk. That was the perfect, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, you give me an expense account and I go and chat with people. This is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. Right. So, and I stumbled on that. That's the other thing I really want to get across. A lot of what you're doing in the career side, not the college side necessarily, is stumbling into some really amazing things. You know, discovering companies, discovering a mentor, discovering a type of work that you're suited for. I wish that students would do a little bit more stumbling around the internet in particular and then in visits and in conversation about different kinds of colleges. Because I feel like we don't have that exciting adventure as first and foremost when we are um, working with our students or our own children looking at colleges. And so when I meet with a student about college, I usually will only do three sessions. And if they want a college consultant that helps them build a list or write an essay, then I will help them find somebody who does that. What I do is I help them look at their aptitudes, their interests, what they don't like. And we start to hone down what kind of schools at different levels, at a reach level, at a just right level, and at a um, level where they're likely to get in. And we really plan that out based on on interest. So I, I hope that that's kind of the beginning of an adventure process. And as I point out to them, this is probably the largest amount of money that somebody will ever spend on you. And it should feel like a gift because it really is a gift. And it shouldn't feel like a burden and be fear-based. Right. Because yeah. and that's kind what of what it's turned into, you know. It the, has. And and that's the unfortunate part, I think. But you just ta- uh, talked about something that reminded me of my career path. And it's interesting because I always loved to write. And when I was in the magazine business, they immediately hired me for this sales position. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to take it to get in the door and I'm going to try to write for them. And so that was in the back of my head. This is what I'm going to do. But because I'm an extrovert, sales came very easily for me. And I was rolling in all this business without even trying, really. And Everyone was like, send Mary Kay, you can talk to her brick walls. It sort of took a life of its own, but something was missing because I loved to write. And then I would go to lunch with a friend at work and we would work on all these children's books and we would giggle ourselves silly thinking of these concepts and trying to make children laugh. And that's what kept me going through work. Of course, the sales was paying the bills, but then I eventually wrote for books for young adults and children. And so I do think that you can still have those interests, even if you're questioning your career path, and still take those steps to achieve that dream. It doesn't have to be a full-time career. Sometimes it's very lonely being a writer because you have to keep sending manuscripts, keep things in the hopper, always sending things out, and there's no definite income until you get these deals. And collaboration. I think if you're a team-oriented person, I have a lot of students look at what they like doing hobby-wise 
and ask themselves, do I like being in big groups, medium-sized groups, or small groups? When I was a senior executive search professional, my favorite interview question was, how did you pick your lab partner when you were in high school? And what did you think about doing labs with one other person where your grade was tied to their joint performance? And I did it because I could have asked the question, how do you feel about teamwork? But most executives are shrewd enough to just say, oh, of course, love team, real team player, et cetera. That's a great question. But if you really want to get at (laughs) how people actually feel about teamwork and also how do they pick people? How do they manage? How do they how do they build a team? Going back to their first moment when they were essentially building a team, i.e. their lab partner, that got at the essence of who they were inherently. And I was really trying to look at, well, who are you inherently? What have you learned? Because we all have to, you know, we can't just be our complete and total selves. We do have to pad our persona with skills and with things that we do that we aren't necessarily comfortable with. But who you are is going to shine through. And they say this a lot about why employers like hiring athletes, because they are team players. But a lot of athletes get in and they're easily bored or they don't like to have management. There's a lot of talk in the sports world about, oh, that was just a terrible coach or I didn't get along with the coach or it was coach's fault. I say this particularly for people who haven't been down the sports path or let's say you played an individual sport like a tennis or a squash or that type of sport, rock climbing, that you probably have had team experiences and you may very well have really enjoyed them. And you just need to think creatively. Like I will say the jazz world. Jazz is unbelievably collaborative. People are so gracious, usually based on how many bars of music you play, you get a solo and you know by the structure of the music when to stop your solo and then when to be the backup player to the next person that plays. And you do this with hand signals, eye contact. We aren't saying, oh, Bob, it's now your time to play. You do this all organically. It flows. Mm -hmm. And so somebody like a jazz player or someone in theater or someone who likes to garden with other people, you've probably had team experiences too. And I always want to say that to kids, adults, whoever I'm coaching, that we want to look at those moments when you are working together. Maybe you had a babysitting job and there were three kids and you loved the mom. And that was your team. So let's really look at that. And that could be for a college essay. That could be for what you're doing self-exploring wise before you go out in the world. So don't get discouraged if you don't look just like the quote unquote kinds of people that most people want to hire. There's all kinds of ways to create yourself when you are speaking of your abilities so that your skills appear valuable to an employer. Because just remember, you only need one job. So you're going to match with a job and a person who's going to take a shine to you. And you're going to get a job. And you're going to try it. And you're going to have some things that work. And you're going to have some things that don't work. And you want to make note of those. What you're really doing is you're creating a library of references. And the reason why people who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s often are more respected. Their ideas are incorporated in a way that often when you're in your 20s, you might know something really, have a great idea. 
but people poo poo it or they don't listen to you. Yes. It's just because your library isn't as big as the library of the 30 or 40 or 50 year old. And so think of all those experiences, bad and good, like volumes sitting on a shelf that for the rest of your life, you're going to be able to pull down and use. That's very helpful. But at the same time, I think smart companies look at those 20 year olds and even teens And instead, when you have a problem, instead of complaining about it, find a solution. Think of a solution on what you might do to change the situation, because these companies want their ideas. When I think of the founder of Spanx, she was trying to get pantyhose underneath her white pants so she wouldn't have any seams. And she came up with a solution, and she had been fired from a job, and, and she was in a situation where she had a problem but found a solution and didn't just stop with the solution, just persevered and took it to the next level. And these companies want those ideas from those younger people, even though they don't have as much experience. But I'm finding that if they are solution-oriented, they can really make a lot happen. Yeah. Well, and I think particularly if you can combine that with technology skills. So the one place where I would say you've got to invest is in having a basic skill set of technology skills, the PowerPoint, your excellent Excel spreadsheet skills. And I think that people will say, oh, I'm not good at math. But what I often will encourage people is, take a class at the lowest level possible so that you really, really develop an understanding. So go to the baby basic kindergarten version of whatever it is that you're learning and then build upon that. Get some really strong foundation. The other thing that I will really share is that going back to that idea of college and where you go to college, the way you do well in business as you grow older is you manage other people. So If you think of it like a pipeline, if you think of it, say, even like the military, they want to promote you so that you're managing an ever-growing team. And every time they promote you, there are fewer jobs, but you get paid more. So there are just less vice presidents um, or fewer vice presidents than there are assistant vice presidents. And a lot of what you want to do is think about Is your goal to be out there making a good deal of money and having job security, or is what you like doing being an expert and having people come to you because you have a true expertise? So those are the kind of two basic types of workers. And inevitably, the people who have been slightly more generalist oriented and slightly more people oriented, even if they're introverts, will end up becoming those managers. And it's why a lot of times you'll see somebody who went to a school you've never heard of before leap up and become the executive vice president. They've been spending their time being generalists and really, really developing their people skills. And so I just want to say that you got to think at all times, anytime there is a chance to grow and manage others, take it. Because when you get into your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your management skill is what they're going to want um, because there just aren't that many jobs for experts. And usually the skill set of what you need to know as an expert is anchored by people slightly younger just because they have more experience being taught these things by people who are really on the cutting edge. Mm-hmm. You can be in an industry, you know, 
classic joke of accounting or actuaries that are introverted. There are managers of accountants and actuaries who are also introverted, but they have figured out how to really communicate well with a team of people. When they say what they're, that they're going to do something, they do it. So they're trustworthy. Right. And so a lot of what I do when I'm coaching students is I'm building that skill, even if that's not something they think a student thinks they have inherently, building that skill of creating trust with others. What we do is we are creating a business called, make up a name, Susie's Job Search. That's your company. And I am the manager of this company. And we are now going to work on your job search. I'm managing it like it's a job in and of itself. And then I check in for 10, 15 minutes once a week. And we really go through how you would be managed if you had a very busy manager who was managing a team of, say, 30 or 40 people. My first job was in telemarketing, and I managed a 100-person telemarketing room when I was 26. And I learned how to manage that number of people by being super organized, which I am not by nature, and having people trust me that when I said I was going to talk to them Tuesday at 3.30, I was on time and always made time to hear what they had to say and to coach them and teach them so that they got better at their job. And so that's what I do with my students is it's as if their job in doing a job search is like their telemarketing. And how do we go back and forth? How do you establish a relationship with somebody who's a boss? I model that for them mm -hmm. so that they understand what that process is to be managed by someone. So two things have happened. First of all, they've actually done their job search. And second of all, they have learned to effectively communicate with a boss. So when they get into their job or their internship, they are expert at having these once a week meetings and getting work done and updating the senior team on the work being done. And so I hope that helps and it allows for a very cost-effective continued relationship with a coachee, but also any parent or trusted friend or uh, cousin, somebody in your family could do this for you. You can even do it for yourself by writing down your accomplishments. So I hope that helps kind of to now, see this has been so what helpful. you should be doing. Right. No, that's so helpful, and I really appreciate your time. Can you tell our audience how they can contact you if they wanted to hire you to help their student? Great, thanks. So I really communicate through um, LinkedIn and my Facebook page. So Julia Hicks DePeister, and then the Facebook page is Entry Level Career Coaching. And the best way to start it off is just send me a text to my cell phone, 617-905-8568. And that way I can send you a packet of stuff. I always offer an hour free to the student. That allows them to get to know me, me to get to know them. And if it's a good fit, sure, we can go on from there, but at least hopefully some basic values cost effectively. I was a headhunter for a long time. This is really my retirement career. And so I'm, I'm a big part of what I want to do is just get out there and have students who go out into the workforce and really do some fantastic things. And so that or is my gift to every student out there who wants to make the effort to make the call or their families. And then we can go from there and design a program that really custom fits to the students. Some of them have resumes, some don't. Some are looking for college advice. 
But really, again, a lot of my background is helping students find their aptitudes, helping them identify what they really don't want to focus on, and then going forth into the world and making that happen. And if you're frightened, I start from the very, very most basics. And I've been a frightened person in my life. I'm not like I, I talk well, but I'm not the most confident person. And so I'm very sympathetic. And I think that's what probably shines through in these coaching sessions is there is an empathy because I've been there. I always joke that I've managed to create a career out of having been fired a bunch of times and That's it would have never believe. dawned on me getting <laughs> fired throughout my life. It would have never dawned on me that that was actually the biggest advantage to helping students is that I both know what to do and I also know what not to do because I've done both. So it's great fun because I, I, I suddenly remember things when I was their age and really build a, a joyful business um, where I'm impacting families. So anytime, send me a text. I'll get back to you and then we can go from there. 617-905-8568, just in case you missed it first time. Be sure to subscribe to Mary Kay's Positivity Podcast, and I hope you'll join us again soon. Namaste.